0: Right, I think Brother Chris was the man to read that passage because I think his accent is probably closer related to these words. And so it sounded pretty authentic coming, coming from his mouth with our American accent. It just doesn't, it doesn't work with those words. So it, all of a sudden now those names made sense. Hearing it come from that accent, but that uh, it's a tough, tough chapter to read there, and an even tougher chapter to preach. And so, uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on the words of this chapter tonight. But basically, uh, what we're seeing here and is a record of the land and the cities that the tribe of Judah took for a possession. So this is basically, uh, we're seeing the spoils of all these wars that they won, and a, a couple chapters ago, when it's just naming off all these kings they defeated. And so that for about five years they've just been fighting battles and just winning, 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 winning over and over again, and they're inheriting the land. They're deciding who's going to get the possession because that's ultimately what they were trying to do. And I think as modern day Americans, you know, we take for granted certain things when we read certain passages in the Bible. And I'm and I'm just and I don't think we're bad because of this, but as modern day Americans and even as New Testament Christians. We are not going to have an appreciation for this chapter or a chapter like this, like they would have had. But I do want to show you why chapters like this was, were so relevant to them and why it really would have meant a lot to them. Because I think it's important. I mean, this is, this is 50, 63 verses of the Bible and we ought to know, uh, have a full understanding of the Bible and why it's there. And so, because uh, often when we read the Bible, we go looking for things that pertain to us or are specifically speaking of subjects that interest us. And we all have our uh, areas of interest. You know, Some people, they're looking so hard for Bible prophecy, they find Bible prophecy in places that shouldn't be there. You know, Some people are looking so hard to prove their, what they believe about salvation. They often find it in places where they're not supposed to find it. Often we find ourselves having weird debates about whether or not somebody was saved or not. And I don't think there's anything wrong with discussing it, speculating on that. But at the end of the day, we've got to admit, sometimes the Bible just doesn't tell us. About that, often people will speculate and argue over when someone got saved, and it's like you know if the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us, it obviously doesn't really matter that much, and so uh, we can't just be always focused on trying to find what we want in the Scripture to fit whatever agenda that we have, and uh, we can all make the mistake of doing that if we're not careful, and so because uh, said so often people get so focused on that specific subject they begin to interpret passages in a very weird way because they're looking for proof of a subject that the passage they're using was not addressing. Watch out for that. Very easy mistake to make. And so while the next chapters can be very boring to us, we do need to understand that not all the Bible is meant for our entertainment, you know, and these things were necessary. It was very necessary that these things be recorded and these passages would have meant a lot to them. And so to illustrate the importance of these passages to Israel, uh, let me illustrate uh, why it was important to them and why we don't think about these things at all. Okay? I'm just going to show us how different we are from them and why we don't have appreciation. Alright, so how many in here uh are have a possession or are living in a home that belonged to the previous generation? You're living in your home that belonged to the previous generation, okay? A few of you are, are doing that, okay? How many have, are living in your home to go back more than one or two generations? Anybody? Probably not, okay? So, so then you, now, how many have something like a possession that belonged to, how many of you own a possession that belonged to a parent, all right? That's probably most of us, okay? How many of you have a possession that belonged to a grandparent, okay? I've got some things. How many of you have a possession that belongs to a great-grandparent? Okay, a few of you do. Uh, I don't think I have anything that belongs to a great-grandparent. Now, the farther back that goes, the more you're probably going to appreciate that thing, aren't you? But, you know, we re- in our culture, we don't really think about that kind of thing that much. But this is something that they would have thought about a lot that really would have mattered to them. If you ha- if you lived in a home that had been in your family for generations, you better believe it would be hard for you to just sell that place and to leave it because, I mean, that was yours. And not I'm not just talking about a lot on a block somewhere. I mean, I'm talking about a large portion of land where things happen. Maybe where you were born, where your parents were born, where your grandparents were born. Uh, Brother Matt Powell, uh, who's, uh, mo- most of you know him, uh, I was out there one time and we, we were filming something for one of his documentaries and where his parents live, he was showing me uh, that, uh, that land that they have has been in their family for a long time and he was showing me where there was a house where uh, several members of their family was born and they actually have you know, a possession like that that's been in the family for a long time and uh, I thought that was pretty cool and I imagine that place means a lot to them and it would probably be very difficult for them to sell something like that. And so this possessing and dividing of the land that we're seeing here that's being recorded was going to be very, very important to the people of Israel because this is their family history. This is what happened. These things that it's talking about when it's naming off all these places and all these borders, and we're looking at it and we're like, I have no idea what that is. Well, they did know what that was, because these are the places that they walked. These are the places they lived. Some of them are reading this, and this is, hey, this is right by where our house sits. I can see that one spot they're talking about from my backyard. So this would have meant a whole lot to them. It would have been very important to them. And so, uh, you know, so think about, and think about even as Americans how we feel about certain historical locations that are not necessarily in our family, but in our history as Americans. Think about Independence Hall. We went there this year. Uh, where, that's where they signed the Declaration of Independence. I think a few more Americans need to go visit that place, all right? Uh, you know, get inspired. But, you know, that place is important to us. Because of that history, what took place there, you know, has affected all of us. We've all benefited from what took place there. And so it's a really special place for us to go. And it's just neat thinking about the historical figures that walked those halls and that were in those locations. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing. And that's only a couple hundred years ago. Understand that this land that Israel had—I mean, they had for you know, close to 2,000 years—if you start uh, counting from the time of Abraham. So all these things were very important to them that go way back. Where you know, you and I, we just we don't have anything like that. But these things were very important. Even places today like like Gettysburg are. How many of you in here's ever been to Gettysburg? Okay, so and now. From what I've heard about Gettysburg, I haven't haven't been there. It's pretty much just open fields. But yet, people go there and they look at it. Why? Because of what happened there. Well, you know, a lot of these stories that we're reading about in the Bible, there's details that we kind of gloss over when it's talking about where they fought. It mentions in this passage, uh, Soka and Ezekiel. I don't know if you remember that. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Anybody remember something that happened there or what was going to happen there? That was where David fought Goliath. So, th- so think about that. You know, these places where they lived were places where many of the battles were fought. And so, as we're reading about these battles in the Bible, and it's saying where it took place and all that, I mean, that'd be pretty cool to live some place where some really epic battle took place. It'd be pretty cool to build a house in the spot where Joshua told the sun to stand still. You know, I, I think that'd be pretty neat. It'd be pretty neat if you had if you had the portion by Jordan where they crossed over. And you could build your house next to those 12 stones that they set up and then you could charge people fees when they want to come look at it for, you know, historical purposes and then, you know, the tourists come by, right? I don't know if they did things like that back then, but some of us would have done that. But what we're reading here, it was their history. It was close to them. These chapters too, you could say, were kind of the deed to the land as well as the chapters too in the Bible, uh, where it shows all the genealogies that we struggle reading through. Those genealogies were important too because often when it was talking about these things, it's showing what family got these things. And this, you know, these documents, okay, that, that were written, these things were the Word of God that were going to be preserved, that they were going to have hundreds of years later. And so it wasn't even a matter of them just needing to make sure they held on to a deed somewhere. No, it was written in their law. It was written in the Word of God that they had back then in that time. Whose family it belonged to, what the portion was, what the borders were, and so it would it, it would never be disputed as to who that land belonged to. It was in their law not to move landmarks. They weren't supposed to do that. That was a horrible thing to do. Something like that. If they did uh, go through a hard time and they had to sell some of that land, I mean, because th- think about it. You know, land is land, but you know, if you're in a family, you're going to starve to death. You know, would you rather keep the land and die or sell the land and live? But then you don't want to lose that possession. So you know what? They had that year of release every seven years where all their debts would be forgiven. And then on the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, the land would go back to that family. And so just imagine if you were just kind of a, you know, maybe you were sorry. Maybe you just had some bad luck. You went through some hard times and you got in debt and you had to sell your land and you didn't have a possession for your kids. And then imagine if you were the grandpa or, you know, the father that left it to them, you know, that would stink if you lost, but you know what? They never did lose it forever because with that year of Jubilee, it would end up going back. And so all these things were very important. And then, too, these things helped in case people tried to forget, oh, you know, that was 50 years ago. No, we've got a record of what family this belongs to. We've got a record of genealogies. So, can you see why all these things were in the Bible? I know we read through these things and we struggle with them and, and it's hard stuff to read and it just seems kind of boring to us, but these things were very important to them in order for them to uh, fulfill God's Word and to fulfill God's law and to build a nation. But these things were also important because of prophecies that were made by men like Jacob. Some of the things that God prophesied uh, were specifically going to happen through certain tribes. And so them keeping records of all these things would help provide proof whenever that uh whenever that prophecy was fulfilled. And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. So um, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time going over the words of this particular chapter because so there's not a whole lot we can make life application with. There isn't much As far as memorable stories, we'll see one short story that's in here and we'll talk about that. But I mainly want to keep talking about these things to help understand why we have chapters like this in the Bible, why they are important. And if you know these things too, it'll save you if one of these days some rucktard comes along and he pulls a verse out of a chapter like this that, you know, I mean, let's just admit it. Most of us haven't spent a whole lot of time trying to figure out Joshua 15, have we? And so, if somebody did find something in a chapter like this, they might be able to, you know, throw us for a loop for a minute. But if we already have a knowledge of why these things are there, uh, the context of it and everything, we'll see right through that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, we're preaching through the whole Bible, so we're going to cover these kind of things. But let's go back to Genesis chapter 49. Okay? Genesis chapter 49, because what we are seeing here, here in Joshua chapter 15, is they are possessing this land. And it's hard for us to see this because, uh, you know, we don't have a map in our head. We don't have a picture in our head of what they're getting right here. Okay. Now, I've seen some maps that shown how the land was divided up. Um, you know, I don't know how accurate those things are. I imagine they're pretty accurate. But at the same time, I, I'm going to point out some things about this to show how what we are seeing here is the beginning of a fulfillment of prophecy. In Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons, and I believe these things are prophetic, we see it says in verse 8, when he's talking to Judah, because this is the inheritance of Judah. Verse 1 of chapter 15, this then was the law of the tribe of the children of Judah by their families, even to the border of Edom, the wilderness of Zin, southward to the othermost parts of the south coast. So this is Judah's inheritance. And it says in Genesis 49 to 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's wealth. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be... Binding his foal under the vine and his ass is coal under the choice vine, he washes garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with his wine and his teeth white with milk. Now, there is a lot to unpack here. Okay, But think about this. Again, what if that house that you lived in, okay, not only did you have generations of history there, which would make it very important to you, but imagine if that house, that land that you had, that possession that you had, imagine if there were also prophecies associated with it. Now then you really wouldn't want to get rid of it, would you? If you if you know if you own some land and you had a house and there was some prophecy about some great thing that was going to happen someday there, you really aren't going to want to get rid of it, are you? You're going to be you're going to be very excited about it. Well, we've got to remember the things that you know these inheritances that they received They also came with some prophecies many times. And so obviously um, this is going to be a really big deal. These are things that they knew about. These are things that are recorded. And this prophecy here that Jacob gave Judah, he gave it to them. We talked about this when we were going through Genesis. He gave it to them right before he's about to die while they were in Egypt. He told him, he, he prophesied, you're going to be in Egypt for a long time. Or Joseph prophesied too. But you know what? God's going to bring you out of this land. Joseph said, you're going to carry my bones out of this land. And so Jacob, when he's doing this prophecy, the things that were going to come to pass, these guys never saw it. But it was going to happen hundreds of years later because now at this point, we're going to see Judah was kind of the leading tribe. So for example, during the time of Jacob, Judah, we had seen had kind of taken a lead and was leading things in the family. But even though Jacob had chosen Judah as kind of the leader of the family, it kind of lost that because of the time they were in captivity in Egypt and then God ended up using Moses who was from the tribe of Levi. But then after they get in the land, fast forward a little bit, and I'm going to get ahead of myself here a little bit, but does anybody know who the first judge in Israel was? After the death of Joshua, the very first judge, he's in this chapter. We're going to to tell the story about him. His name was Othniel. First judge. Tribe of Judah. And who would the kings end up coming from? Tribe of Judah. And the Messiah was going to come through the tribe of Judah. All these things were prophesied by Jacob. And so, um, you know, so, Let's, let's break down this prophecy real quick. Okay, so notice verse 8. So it says, Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies, thy father's children shall bow down before thee. And this is prophetic that Judah would rule over the other tribes. You know, his hand shall be at the neck of thine enemies. You want to know one of the main things that caused Judah to rise to power in Israel? Does anybody know when somebody from Judah specifically went at the neck? of Israel's enemies? How about David when he cut off the head of Goliath? Ultimately, that's what kind of made Judah end up rising to power. David ended up becoming the king, and then God promised that the kingdom would stay in his line. So, uh, that's very significant there. You could say David was a fulfillment of this prophecy of Jacob. All these things that the Bible records, you know these things were going to come to pass. These are things that... Uh, israel should have been watching for and so while here in joshua 15 it hasn't happened yet where judah has taken charge we've kind of seen the groundwork laid because judah did receive a very large portion of land they received some of the best portion of land we're going to talk about some of the things that happened in their portion here in a little bit but verse 9 says judah is a lion's well from the prey my son we art gone up he stooped down he couches a lion and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So basically that scepter not departing from him, he's not going to lose that authority. He's not going to lose that power until Shiloh comes, which I believe is prophetic of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah. And unto him shall the gathering of people be. And so Jesus Christ will be the fulfillment of that. And one of these days, Jesus Christ is, He's going to come and He's going to rule and reign. You know what tribe Jesus is from? The tribe of Judah. He's that lion from the tribe of Judah. You know where Jesus is going to rule from? Jerusalem, which was an inheritance of Judah. We'll say more about that. But verse 11 says, Binding his foal under the vine and his ass's coal under the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes should be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. And I believe this is prophetic of the battle of the great day of God Almighty that is still yet to come. Not the battle of Armageddon that is in Megiddo, which I'm not sure who possesses Megiddo. I'm, I'm not positive about that. That might be part of Judah's inheritance. But, but either way, in Revelation 19, verse 15 says and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron and he treadeth the winepress and fierceness of wrath of almighty god i believe that's what jacob was referring to when it talks about his eyes being red with wine and his teeth white with milk i think that is a reference to of him treading the winepress in fierceness of wrath it's like you know he's just he's got so much of it his eyes are red with it his teeth are white from the milk we see in isaiah 63 it says who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, uh, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save, wherefore art thou red in thine apparel and thy garments like him that treadeth the wine fat? I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled, sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment." For the day of vengeance is in mine heart and the year of my redeemed is come. I think it's safe to say this is referring to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. We see in Joel chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, which is a valley that is in between the Mount of Olives and the Mount Zion where the temple dwelt. It says, And I will plead with them there for My people, for My heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted My land. And you know what's interesting? These, prophe- these prophecies, this prophecy of the battle of the great day of God Almighty, that all takes place in land that is specifically mentioned here in Joshua 15 that Judah received for an inheritance. This event that we've been reading about, that, all that um, Jacob gave a prophecy about, is the same event that Enoch, or not, yeah, Enoch talked about when he said, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to get execute judgment upon all them that are ungodly. And uh, we read about that in Jude. So this is a very significant prophecy. And you know where it's going to happen? It's going to happen in Judah's land. It's going to happen in their possession. So this land that Judah received at this time is not just geographical land. But it's land with some prophecies attached to it, so that makes it even more exciting. That makes it really exciting when you stop and think about that. And while none of it, most of us in here, we don't even have anything of great inheritance. Just imagine if we did. We had something that goes way back, but also something that goes forward too, that came with a prophecy. So we can see why this would be very important to them. And uh, so. Uh, Joshua 15, verse 8 says, And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom unto the south side of the Jebusite. The same is Jerusalem. And the border went up to the top of the mountain that lieth before the valley of Hinnom westward was at the end of the valley of giants northward. So uh, this is this records when they got Jerusalem. And folks, we know how important of a city Jerusalem is throughout the Bible. And this is when they got it. So this was very significant. Now, something important to note about the land that Judah possessed. And we don't think about these things. They definitely would have thought about these things back then. But the fact that Judah received a large portion of the land in a very good portion of the land. okay, that, that, That's a fact. They, did, they received a very good portion. All right, And I, I believe... One, it was because Judah did good, unlike his brothers, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. Judah ended up kind of getting the inheritance of the firstborn in a way, uh, with the exception of Joseph, who got a, that double portion. But um, I believe too, because you know God knew the Messiah was going to come from him. And you know what? God favors his only begotten son, doesn't he? And so God made sure that the land that he wanted for his son went to the tribe that his son was going to come from. So, you might look at these things and think, well, all these things happened because it was No, land. No. You know, God knew what was going to happen in these places and that's why he gave that land to Judah. Because God knew that his son was going to come from there. And, and so, their possession that they received, that Judah received, would eventually become the capital of Israel And, uh, and he said, you could say it's because Jerusalem was in their portion, but, you know, God eventually told him, I'm going to have a city and I'm going to put my name there forever. And that was Jerusalem. And so, and God always knew, and God always knew it was going to be Jerusalem. And I'll show you why here in a little bit. But most of the stories, think about this. Most of the stories we read in the Bible from here on out are dealing with things in the land of Judah. So imagine if you were somebody, you know, let's say in King Hezekiah's day. Hundreds of years later, and you're reading these stories, you know, from Joshua and Judges and First and Second Samuel, you know what you're gonna pay extra attention to the stories that happened in your land. That happened in your area. Well, most of the stories we read about happened in Judah. Because that, that's where most of the action was. They would become the most important tribe. They weren't really at this point, but they would. The Messiah was going to come from this tribe. The kings were, would come from Judah. And they would have a promise for the kingdom to stay in Judah. And so when the kingdom split, we do see Samaria eventually becomes the capital of the northern kingdom. And there's a lot of stories in that area, uh, in Samaria that we read about. But the majority of the action that we see in the Bible is in Judah, in their inheritance. And so Jerusalem, which would become the physical capital, would also be the spiritual capital too. So, I mean, think about that if you've got a possession. Not only is it your possession, but that's going to be pretty good for your business, whatever you have in that land, if all the other tribes are constantly coming to Jerusalem, if they're all coming to your land. They're all going to be using those roads that lead to Jerusalem. They're all going to be coming to your city when it's time for them to offer up their sacrifices and do the things that they've been commanded to do when they're all coming there to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, all those things. That's all in their land. That works pretty good for you too because then you don't have to do as much traveling. So, I mean, they are very blessed to receive that land and be a part of that tribe. And and that was all stuff that was going to come later, but this is the beginning of it. We see uh, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem or Bethlehem Judah. Bethlehem was also a part of of Judah's uh, possession. The price of sin would be paid for in Jerusalem. It would be paid for symbolically, you know, in the temple all those years, but then it would be done and finished in Jerusalem. And Jesus is going to someday rule and reign in Jerusalem. And so the Bible even specifically talks about him taking Jerusalem. It talks about some of the borders and some of the areas around there. I mean, that's when they got, that's when they got Mount Mount Zion, which is where God himself is going to come and rule and reign from one of these days. That's pretty cool. I'd like to have that land. I'd like to have that portion. Now, it's interesting about that, and we don't have a whole lot of time to spend on this, but the Jebusites, we see at the end of chapter 15, look at the last verse, Says says, "...for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah, could not drive them out but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem unto this day. So notice, while they've been successful at driving everybody out of this land, when it came to Jerusalem, the most important city, they hadn't gotten that done yet. And understand, you know, God definitely wanted them to have that land. But the Jebusites, So whenever you read about the Jebusites, they lived in Jerusalem. We all hear that word a lot, or Jebus is what it was called, uh, before it was known as Jerusalem. And it was the Jebusites who lived there. Now when did they get it? Well, in First Corinthians or First Chronicles, I'm sorry, chapter eleven, in verse four it says, And David and all Israel went to Jerusalem, which is Jebus, where the Jebusites were, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Jebus said to David, Thou shalt not come hither. Nevertheless David took the castle of Zion, which is the city of David. And David said, Whosoever smiteth the Jebusites first shall be chief and captain. So Joab, the son of Zeruiah, went first up and was chief. And David dwelt in the castle. Therefore they called it the city of David. And they built the city roundabout, even from Milo, roundabout. And Joab repaired the rest of the city. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. So we see it wasn't until the time of David that they finally finished the business of driving them out of the land and, and here in First Chronicles chapter 11. But that land that they didn't completely get control of during Joshua's day, that David eventually took over, we see that spot, that Mount Zion, became literally the most important spot because that is where they built the temple. Look at First Chronicles chapter 21, and verse 15. It says, "...and God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it, and, he was de- and as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed it, it is enough, stay now thine hand." And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite." And if, if you read the rest of that story, uh, or later, David ended up buying that threshing floor. Of Orin, or in the story, he buys it from Orn in the Jebusite, and it was in that place where they ended up putting the temple. And that, and that spot right there, uh, you can go visit it today. It is outside the old city walls of Jerusalem. If you've seen my video about the Temple Mount fraud, uh, where, the, where the dome of the rock is, that is not the city of David. That is, that is Mount Zion. You can go on Google Earth. If you go on Google Earth, look at Old City Jerusalem, and you just go a little bit south of that old city, go down in the streets and you can do a Google Street View. And you'll see it right there. There will be signs saying, City of David. It's still called Zion to this day. It, you can see signs on there too on the road for the Gihon Springs, which the Bible specifically mentions. That's where the temple was at. That area they're all fighting over now, it's a red herring, folks. All right? it's, a, it's a Jewish myth. It's a Jewish tradition that was there. It doesn't even go along with the Bible. And let me tell you, those locations mattered in the Bible days. And Jews paid very close attention to it back then. That's why all these things are recorded. But then we have Jews today, they look at all these things, and they say, well, wait a minute. Isn't Zion outside those walls? Yes. Doesn't the Bible say, Zion was where in the city of David is where the temple was built. Do you believe that's Zion in the city of David? Yes. So isn't that where the temple was? How dare you say that traditionally it was over here. And you're not they won't even they won't even respond to that. They get insulted if you ask them about it. It is pretend, folks. It is pretend. And yet okay, and you know what? I get it. It's the synagogue of Satan. I don't expect them to be based in reality. But when Christians go over there. And they're pointing at the Dome of the Rock. That's where Solomon's temple used to stand. Okay, so we're going to play make-believe with them too? Why don't we call them the chosen people too? Why don't don't we say they're all just going to get saved? I guess they're doing all that stuff too. And while they're at at it, why don't we throw Santa Claus in there too? I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. These things are all... I mean, the Bible meticulously records these things. And it does it for a reason. And it used to mean something to the Jews, but now it doesn't mean anything. Just throw it out. They, they, you know, the synagogue of Satan does not care about the Bible. They, they, they don't. They don't care about it. The Jews used to care about the Bible. These things uh, used to be important to them, but they should be important to us. So uh, this. So this land not only does it have a great future, but it had an interesting past too. Because again, imagine, you know, if, if you could, you know, purchase the property that had some great history to some great man used to live in. You know, if you owned one of George Washington's own homes or something like that. And we don't have things that are that old in this country, too. You know, there's just not, because our country's not that old. But think about this. This land, you know, where Jerusalem is, that's where King, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, was from. You know, which, you know, I understand, I don't believe they understood that it was a uh, you know, pre-incarnate Jesus. They didn't understand that back then, but they did recognize how great of a man he was because of the fact the Bible records how even Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. We The Bible also records, and Paul referred to this, how Melchizedek blessed Abraham and the less is blessed of the better. So they knew how great this man was during that time and he was the priest of the Most High God and they got the land where He used to dwell and where He used to do His thing. So I'm just showing you all this because while it's recording all these things and all these borders and all the details about it, you know, we look at it and we just kind of, uh, whatever. But if we actually stop and think about some of the stuff that took place there, folks, this was a valuable inheritance they received. This was a very special thing that they got. There were great things that were going to come. And so um, this chapter is in fact very important. It is a hard read, But it is, in fact, very important. And so, notice how this chapter ends with it mentioning that the Jebusites were still in the land up until the book of Judges was written. And and another thing about that, Jebus, or Jerusalem, that is where that horrible story happened from Judges chapter 19. Remember the Judges 19? Disturbing story there. That's where that took place. So not only did they have some good history with Melchizedek, they had some really bad history there too. So uh, just kind of some interesting facts about that land. And so, uh, you know, having looked at the importance of this land and what this chapter would have meant to them, let's go ahead and take a look at the one story that it tells in this chapter that is definitely worth noting. All right, Now look at verse 16 of chapter 15. It says, And Caleb said... He that smiteth Kirjath Shepher and taketh it, to him will I give Oxa my daughter to wife. And Othniel, the son of Kinez, the brother of Caleb, took it and gave him Aksa his daughter to wife. And it came to pass as she came to him that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted off her ass. And Caleb uh, said unto her, What wouldest thou? Who answered, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And he gave her the upper springs and the nether springs, this is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. Now first, the thing I get from this is, you know what? I mean, he literally used his daughter so a guy could go possess some land for him. So you know what? I think we ought to be able to like ask for money at least or something for our daughters, you know, that hey, you know, go, go get me some land, you know, go buy me a house or something like that. Oh, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm not. Interpreting that correctly, but uh, that's what I got out of that. But no, no, we, we won't go there. We make it way too easy for guys to get our daughters these days, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we make it way too easy. I think we need to make them jump through hoops, do the prison dating, all that kind of stuff. Uh, our daughters are worth it. But anyway, don't get don't get me sidetracked. But because of Caleb's obedience to God, not only did he have a great inheritance for himself, because we know what he do. He what he got was a very good inheritance. But he also has something wonderful to leave his children, too. And I think every father you know, would love to have something great to leave to their children. And not only was he able to leave his daughter this great inheritance, because she had already, he had already given her the south land. I mean, think about that. Because of that faith that he had, God rewarded him greatly with a large portion of land that not only is it his, but it's going to stay in his family forever. And so he's looking out at that land and he's able to divide it up with his kids. And we read in Chronicles, he had some sons too, but he even gave his daughter a, a special land that obviously Othniel would have uh, gotten in on too. And, and it was a good land. She saw something there and she's like, man, I saw this one area that's got an upper spring and a lower spring. That's going to be a great land. That's a great land for cattle. This would be fantastic. Be, I would love to be able to live someplace like this. I'd love to have my family and you know what? He was able to do that. He was able to give that to her. He was able to give her a great inheritance. Uh, and not only was he able to leave his daughter a great inheritance, but she also ended up getting a great husband too, which is something I think every father wants for their daughter. Because Othniel was first judge of Israel. And Judges 3, 7 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and forgot the Lord their God, and served Balaam and the groves, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Shushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Chushan Rishathaim eight years. And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel and went out to war, and the Lord delivered Shushan, Rish, Atham, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed. Why does it keep saying his name that many times? That's too hard to say. And the land had rest 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz died. So, think about this. During a time, years later, when Israel starts getting bad, we see that the one God raised up was Othniel. God, so, obviously, he was not participating in the wickedness because of his deliverance that he did the land had rest 40 years so caleb not only did his daughter get a good husband but she was also able to live in peace and isn't that what we all want for our kids and i think as dads too we worry a little bit more about our daughters than we do our sons because of the fact that you know what's going to happen to them is kind of in the hands of the son-in-law and you know what god blessed him greatly there And let me, let me just say this too, because again, this inheritance that they received, this was, this was, this was a great possession. And this possession of land, it mattered, and it mattered greatly back then, because God had plans. They were raising up a nation that was going to be there for hundreds and hundreds of years. What He was doing was going to affect His family for generations. And what I don't want you to do though, Is I don't want you to look at these things and when it comes to leaving an inheritance, think that, all right, we need to do more like that and I need to find me a good piece of land that I can possess somewhere and leave my kids. Now, if you want to do that, there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Uh, There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but you do realize as Christians, we've not been called to possess a land and... And at the end of the day, the Jews have already possessed this entire land. And I don't know if we're going to be getting it back from them anytime soon. But, you know, the thing is, we can still leave an inheritance to our children. You know what we can do? We can leave a godly legacy. And we've talked a lot about that before, too. You know, you can pass on those spiritual blessings. You can pass on that heavenly Jerusalem, that heavenly inheritance that is actually eternal. You know, any inheritance physically speaking that you pass on to your children now it's probably going to end up being seized by the jews It's probably going to be taken by the government or something like that. They're probably going to end up losing it They're probably going to deal with battles and fights and all the things that israel dealt with during that time But you know if we can pass on the spiritual things those things are eternal and they can never lose those things They 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 can never lose it And so we're not looking for a physical land anymore. We're looking for a heavenly country if we can pass that on to our children if we could get our children, too, to fall in love with the things of God, if we can get our children wanting that spiritual inheritance, that's the best thing in the world. And thankfully, you know, for Caleb, the man who did get his daughter was somebody who obviously had faith, was willing to go fight the battle, but he was somebody, too, who was faithful to God and was doing right when everybody else was doing wrong. And because of that, his daughter and his grandkids were able to live in peace. For 40 years, his daughter died in a good land, died in peace with a great husband. And you know what? We can spiritually, you know, we have, we have these things, but you know, we can lose them too. If we get sidetracked with the things of this world, if we get sidetracked going after the money and going after the physical possessions, the spiritual possessions are better because at the end of the day, while Israel received a great land that was in their family for years a land they were proud of that you know over a thousand years later we have their descendants walking around looking at that temple and pointing them out to jesus saying boy look at these temples. look at this temple look at this look at these buildings you know what jesus said to them there's not gonna be one stone left upon another you know what jesus said to their descendants years later When he was carrying the cross and the women are weeping for him, he said, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Why? Because judgment was coming for them. You know what? They lost every bit of it. They lost it. It was destroyed. I was just reading some things about it today. Over a million Jews died during that siege on Jerusalem in 70 AD. During During that period of time, it was a bloodbath like the world has never seen before what took place before uh, the Romans got in, they had a ugly, horrible civil war that was going on there where they're just horrible things are happening by their own brethren, by their own people. They were fighting and killing each other so much. The Romans said, had it not been for them fighting with each other, they probably never would have been able to take them. But you know what? Eventually... They did. It was so bad in there. A lot, of the, a lot of the people in Jerusalem wanted to just give up themselves to the Romans because they figured they'd be better off in the hands of the Roman and then their own crazy brethren. That's how bad they were during that time. The things that took place then was just horrible. The things they did to each other and then what was done to them by the Romans. I mean, the, the Romans looked at these people with just disgust and disdain. That's what happened. And folks, anything that we can try to leave of any physical value eventually is probably just going to corrupt their families anyway. You know what happens to a lot of people when they do have something to leave to the kids? They all get in a big, dirty, nasty fight over it when it's time to read the will. Is that, is that the kind of thing we want? But you know what? That's what a lot of people are living their lives for today. And you know what? God has given us something better. Jesus came and has given us something better under the new covenant. And so we don't need to get caught up in these things. We need to stay focused on the spiritual things. It's so much better. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, chapter. Lord, I pray you'll help us to take the time to uh, look into these things and why you record these things in the Scripture. And uh, Lord, I pray you'll help us uh, to learn the lessons we're supposed to from this. I pray, Lord, you'll help us to try to pass on uh, that uh, spiritual inheritance to our children that, uh, the, that will pass on the things that are eternal Uh, that really matter, and I pray I bless everyone for it. In your name we pray. Amen.